building a platform to share challenges, thoughts from leaders, and network together, the LabOps Leadership Podcast is elevating LabOps professionals as well as the industry as a whole. With the intent of unlocking the power of LabOps, we deliver unique insights to execute the mission at hand, to standardize LabOps and empower LabOps leaders. I'm Carrie Anderson. And I'm Samantha Black. Welcome to the LabOps Leadership Podcast. I'm so excited today. We're here with Andrea Johnstone, who is Senior Director of Product Development at Epicypher. Thanks for joining us today, Andrea. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. Awesome. So can you just kick us off um, and tell us a little bit about your background and how you got to where you are today? Sure. Yeah. So I have to be honest, um, when I was young, it wasn't super obvious I was going to be a scientist. Uh, You know, I I did well in school and stuff, but um, not particularly well at science. I remember my seventh grade science fair project was really boring and and uninspired. Um, And I didn't have any anyone in my family who had gotten a four year college degree, let alone an advanced degree and was a scientist. So I didn't really know what that meant. Um, uh, but in high school, I started getting uh, really into the the uh, question of how the brain functions. How does it control personality? How your personality changes when you're exposed to things that change brain function, like drugs of addiction, for example. How it's changed in mental health, and um, how you know just your mental state can impact your physiological health and and your physiological well being as well. Um, so I started just voraciously reading any books about neuroscience. And finally, in college, got connected to a great mentor who said, you you need to get your PhD, you need to go into science, there's so much that you can do in this career. So that's what I did. I went to University of Miami, I got my PhD um, studying neuroplasticity after spinal cord injury, and how we can regenerate nerves and restore function. And then ended up doing a postdoc in a lab um, studying epigenetic mechanisms of psychiatric disease. And epigenetics to me was just so cool. I was instantly hooked once I learned about it because really there's two main things that influence, you know, how organisms develop and and their health. And that is your genetics and things you're exposed to in your environment. And epigenetics is really at the crux of those two influences. So I knew that's what I wanted to do in my career. Um, Did that for my postdoc and then ended up... um, joining this uh, startup company called Epicypher that nobody had ever really heard of. They're a really small company, spin out of UNC, founded in 2011. Um, They had this really kind of rudimentary website with kind of random products on there. It wasn't really clear exactly what they did other than they made products kind of related to epigenetics. Um, But when I interviewed there, I could really feel that there there was something special. The people there were just uh, so brilliant. They had just gotten their first uh, phase two uh, grant through the NIH Small Business Innovation Research Program. So they had a few years of funding for the first time ever in their company. They're all really excited. And so I joined as a research scientist. Um, There's about 10 people. And now six years later, um, we're about 60 plus people growing very quickly. And I've moved my way up, uh, as you said, to senior director of product development. And I still feel even more than I did in the first day that, you know, what we're doing is special and unique and and really fun. That's awesome. That's a great story. Um, So I I know I already know about Epicypher, but for everybody else out there, um, 
it can be kind of a complicated topic or a scary topic to talk about. So can you break down um, epigenetics and, and the work that you guys are doing at Epicypher a little bit more so that people can understand um, what you guys are doing and why it's cool? Yeah, absolutely. So everybody's probably familiar with the central dogma, right? DNA by itself is, is not really functional. It's, it's a template, right, that the cell can use to make decisions. And so DNA needs to be transcribed into RNA, which has some functions, and that's translated into protein, which has even more functions. So central dogma is DNA to RNA to protein. We all know that. But what we don't appreciate from that view is there's this middle layer between DNA and RNA that has enormous level of complexity that's really involved in making those decisions between all the genes that exist in a cell, the thousands of genes that exist in, at any given time, and which of those genes is actively transcribed and then translated. And that's influencing the overall health and function of the cell. And, and that exists in the form of chromatin. Chromatin is that regulatory layer, which is involved in packaging the DNA into the cell, so just so it, it fits, right? So the histone proteins that wind the DNA around to form the basic repeating unit of chromatin. And then also transcriptional complexes that are interacting with that chromatin to modify it, to, to make modifications and essentially decorate those histone proteins in a way that changes how the DNA is packaged. It makes it more accessible to turn genes on or it compacts it to turn genes off. Like for example, um, growth genes, you want those active during development, but then you want to shut them down later and prevent diseases like cancer, you know, where those growth genes might be reactivated. Um, so this chromatin regulation is happening in every cell in your body at, at any given time. And it's really coordinating those uh, genetic and environmental influences act how the cell functions in normal development. And now we're starting to appreciate that these um, epigenetic and chromatin regulatory pathways can go awry and they can contribute to diseases. And so there's a few pharma companies and actually clinically approved drugs now that are targeting these uh, chromatin regulatory processes to set things right again and restore normal gene expression um, and prevent disease. So, um, so you guys are developing what products? Um, so that's a lot about um, epigenetics. And that was a great overview. I wish I had that in college. That would have been great. Um, <laughs> so, um, but you guys are, you're actually serving as a, um, as a service to other companies. Is that right? So can you talk a little right, bit right. about, you're not directly um, making the drugs, but how, how are you guys impacting or speeding that process? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So basically what we say is in the epigenetics field, there's, there's a gold rush. Everyone's trying to understand how epigenetics is working and how we can leverage that to cure disease, to find drugs that are improving human health. And so we're not trying to find those drugs or, you know, find those answers, but what we're trying to do is sell people the most sophisticated tools that they need to, to find that gold. What, what are the most sophisticated technologies and picks and shovels that people can use to really develop a really uh, high resolution understanding of how chromatin is regulated. And so we started out kind of making the basic uh, uh, repeating unit of chromatin, which is the nucleosome. We actually make fully defined nucleosomes that people can use um, to better understand what's binding to the chromatin. 
And also they can use it as, as substrates in assays where they're screening for new drugs and, you know, trying to find things that are inhibiting that interaction with the chromatin. And now we're starting to move more into an in vivo um, type of setup where we're looking at what's bound to the chromatin and how is the chromatin regulated in cells and in disease. And that's using um, epigenomic mapping assays where we're profiling across all the DNA where are specific proteins of interest bound? What genes are they regulating? And again, how is that changing throughout development and, and disease? And you know, the field has been really limited by some older technologies, but we're coming in and trying to um, improve by um, developing really next generation technologies that let you do things faster, cheaper, with higher resolution. And also making sure that while we're doing that, we're developing the most reliable tools. We have robust controls that we're using to really do science that has you know, high integrity and reproducibility, which we know can be a problem if you don't have reagents that are well characterized and controls. So that's always a focus of ours as well. That's incredible. Um, it, it's really interesting to hear this next generation technology happening in the lab. I'm really curious to hear, how are the lab operations people at your company helping to support that? Oh my gosh, so so essential. Um, so I have to say that lab ops is a topic that's really near and dear to my heart because when I started as a research scientist, like I said, we we're only 10 people and now we're 60 plus. So I've seen the company scale and I, I've seen the process of developing really robust lab ops, you know, from, from the beginning, really establishing these processes. And also um, I had, when I was a scientist, uh, two really talented associates that worked for me, uh, Danielle Mariansky and Kelly Rodriguez. And they're both now running their own groups. Danielle's running our, our epigenomic services group. And Kelly is our, um, our lab operations manager. And so she's really been essential to establishing some of these uh, rigorous processes. And also for us, lab ops is especially important because you know we're not just doing science internally. What we're doing is building products and services that people can use externally, right? So the kits and the products that we're building get shipped to thousands of labs. So we need to make sure that our internal processes are top-notch. Everything's going through really rigorous quality controls. Our equipment and our internal SOPs are, are top-line and, you know, that we're making things that are really easily used when we ship them out to these thousands of labs all over the world. So LabOps has been really crucial to that from, from bringing in uh, new equipment, scaling things on robots as, again, as we, we grew and started to put these epigenomic mapping assays on 96-well plate robots and use them in service projects for um, integrating with clinical trials where we're screening clinical samples and trying to find new biomarkers of disease. Um, we've adopted electronic lab notebooks. You know, when I first joined, it was all paper lab notebooks, and now it's everything's electronic. All our reagents are, are tracked um, and linked back to your experiment. Um, you know, establishing SOPs, safety protocols. I mean, the list goes on and on, expanding to larger spaces as we grow. So lab ops has been absolutely critical for all of that. Yeah. Did your company start? So you said you grew from about 10 to 60 plus now. When did you really hire like a full-time lab operations person? 
that it was probably about three or four years ago, I want to say. And we definitely were really initially focused on the science and bringing in all these, these scientists to the team and then realized like, uh oh, we, we need someone who's just in charge of this, who's, you know, not trying to be a scientist at the bench and also doing lab ops. We need a full time dedicated person just to manage lab ops. So I think the earlier you establish that, the better. Uh, for us, we were growing so fast and then it was like, oh, we we, need, we really need to put this in place. So, yeah. Yeah, that's something we're seeing more and more is people hiring that role a lot sooner. Yeah, um, I think companies used to wait a long time before they hired that, but yeah. they realize how beneficial it is now. Absolutely, yep. So what's something you've seen for lab ops that's been you know, a common struggle recently for you guys that you've had to overcome? Yeah, so... Um, as we grow, you know, again, it used to be 10 people. We would all talk to, talk to each other and we all knew everything everyone was doing. But now it's 60 plus. And a lot of the, the projects that we make or um, the collaborations we work on, the services that we do, it touches almost every team in, in, in our house. So things might start with the production team who's making something. They go to the R&D team who's, who's testing it and evaluating it. They might go to the services team who's using it in their services. They go to my team, um, the products and applications group, to be evaluated for commercial launch, right? Make sure we're designing the product, doing all the quality control checks, um, you know, talking to customers and, and thought leaders in the field to make sure the product meets their needs. And then they go to marketing and sales and customer service to be shipped out. And so as that project is transitioning hands across all those groups, we need to make sure that, you know, everything that they're doing is scalable and repeatable, right? They need to do sort of the same basic things every time. They need to grow their teams and make sure new people are trained. And we need to make sure that there's really reliable handoffs across groups. So implementing like task management processes where we're able to, we have a resource for that project that we can go to know exactly where it's at in its development phase. So all these other teams can plan their timing uh, and plan ahead for that. And then just be able to communicate about the status of the project and what's the next step, what exactly needs to be done. My team might want something special um, in the quality control process that the production and services teams need to know about. And so our lab ops was really critical in um, developing a, a task management process where we're able to set up this really sophisticated process of handing off tasks, keeping them organized, keeping all those notes and keeping everyone in communication. Yeah, I think um, that is, you know, really undervalued in, in some places that that small things that can add up in the communication between between teams and, you know, when you have a more complicated business, you know, when you're selling services and also doing product development, um, I think that can make a huge difference um, in the process. And maybe you'll still get there in the end, but it can be a lot less painful along the way when you have some of these systems in place and people dedicated to thinking about that and, and not worried about you know, did this experiment run correctly or like, did I get the result that I want out of it? You actually literally have people thinking about the process and can help navigate and move the whole team forward in a, in a more efficient way. I think that's, that's maybe one way that lab ops is really helpful. And a lot of people don't think about all the time. 
Yeah. And it absolutely enables like express scaling is key. Like as our teams grow, as our customer base grows and we're sending out, you know, way more kits, way more products, we're doing services that are not just a couple dozen samples. There are several hundred samples. All of those processes, as you scale and make them bigger, you need to make sure that your base efficiencies are, are really um, maxed out, right? You, you have a really reliable process that you can go back to and just scale as you grow and repeat that process and ensure that all the correct checks are being done along the way. All the uh, correct teams are being notified of where that is and what the next step is. So what do you think is the next um, evolution of lab ops in your in your business? I'm just curious, you know, you seems like the team members and the the lab ops individuals have grown along the way. So what do you maybe predict as the next evolution for EpiCypher's lab ops team? Yeah, I think so more and more as we get into these epigenomic mapping assays that I was talking about, where you're really profiling across, you know, the whole DNA, where these proteins are bound and how they're regulating. Um, there's a ton of data that's being generated with that and making sure that that data is really organized and accessible and is a resource for people. It is a lab ops issue. You know, how do you store that data? How do people access it? How do you ensure that you have pipelines for, for analyzing that data and making sure it's, it's analyzed the same way every time it's tracked and you can go back to it later to reference old files? Um, and, you know, we're starting to layer on uh, additional types of, of assays to not just look at where the proteins are bound on the DNA, but looking at the 3D confirmation of the chromatin, how accessible is it? Um, you know, what are the transcriptional outcomes downstream of that? How is the DNA itself regulated? And so it's only going to get more and more complex in, in terms of, you know, this, this data repository that exists. And so just making sure that that's accessible, but yet secure, um, we can hand off data to service customers and things like that. So that, that's, I think, going to be a big challenge as well. Yeah, absolutely. That organization is key. Yep. The omics uh, revolution, right, is, um, you know, I think a lot of people are dealing with that right now, especially as, you know, more and more uh, people adopt next generation sequencing technologies and we're just generating tons and tons of data. So being part of a startup that has grown so much, I'm sure you've seen you know, a lot of challenges, learned a lot of lessons. What would you say is something you've learned in your career that's maybe your biggest lesson? I think my biggest lesson um, and something that I wish people had told me earlier in my career is that everyone has imposter syndrome. Um, and I think just, you know, putting yourself out there and making sure, you know, even you, you just don't realize everyone seems like they have it all together. Um, you know, they, they know exactly what the right thing to do is. And, and even this person, Kelly, who, who took over our, our lab operations management, she had never done something like that before and was kind of, you know, struggling with it as we all do initially. Like, am I the right person for this to take this on? But, you know, you you just take on things that scare you. You, you do the best that you can and you use the resources around you. You know, there's always people who are willing to talk. There's always the resources um, to help. There's always programs out there and um, ways to learn and adopt new strategies to, you know, tackle problems and, and find solutions. So I think just, you know, accepting that, that we all have imposter syndrome and we're all just doing the best that we can and 
you know, continuing to put yourself out there is is probably for me the biggest lesson. I always used to think I was the only one who who had that problem, right? But I think that, you know, we all do and we we can all overcome it. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's great for our listeners to hear because that's something in lab ops, a lot of us just fall into the career. Um, and a lot of times I think we feel, you know, in over our heads. Yeah, you're trying to to manage sometimes the chaos. It feels like, you know, it's almost like you you get one situation under control, but then something else comes up, you know, that you didn't anticipate, you know, for us just constantly growing, there's always new things that are happening. Um, you know, as soon as we, for example, move into a larger space, right? Because we started at one tiny two-foot bench that we rented out at UNC, and we now have approximately 16,000 square feet. And now we've only been there for, for three or four years, I think. And we're looking to uh, double or triple that space and move into even larger space. So, you know, we need to, from a lab operations perspective, really make sure that we're planning ahead for that move, that we have the right um, space to go into. You know, we're working with architects and all kinds of things to plan out ahead and make sure that, you know, that that move and that transition is is seamless. Yeah, and I think I think it's um, that there's always going to be that, you know. And if if you're not growing and learning and expanding, right? What it, you know? I think a lot of people in lab ops really excel at that, and so I think it can be scary. But I think from the people that I've met um, in lab ops, that it's they they really even if it's scary it's, they're really good at it. So they should just trust their gut and just roll with it. And I, you know, I haven't heard of a case where it's been a complete disaster. Maybe some things have gone wrong here and there, but um, generally you can get through it. So I think that's a great message. Um, Okay. Andrea, the last question um, that we have is um, if somebody wanted to find out more about either Epicypher um, the work that you guys are doing, or even about you and follow what you're doing, how can they find you um, online or otherwise? Yeah, um, so you can uh, find Epicypher at www.epicypher.com. That's E-P-I-C-Y-P-H-E-R. Um, we publish blogs. You can sign up for our newsletters. We're also on social media on LinkedIn and, and Twitter. Um, we'll, we'll see what's happening with, with Twitter for right now. We're, we're on it, but I know there's other potential platforms that might be coming online too. So just follow us there. Um, and then you can connect with, with me on LinkedIn, um, Andrea Johnstone with an E. Feel free to reach out with questions about epigenetics or careers or, or epicypher, anything else. Awesome. Thank you so much, Andrea. Um, this has been really great. I really enjoyed learning more about epicypher. I know everybody else will too. Um, so otherwise, we wish you the best of luck and thanks for joining us. Awesome. Thank you guys so much. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the LabOps Leadership Podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's guest. For show notes, resources, and more information about LabOps Unite, please visit us at labops.community podcast. This show is powered by Elemental Machines.